Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. If you have a Bible you're welcome to open with me at Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read from verse 9 to 14, a well-known little parable that, uh, that the Lord Jesus told about a Pharisee and a tax collector, about two, two men who go to the temple to pray. And um, a while back, I didn't actually check where, um, when, it, when it was, but it was probably at least a year, maybe even two years ago. I preached on the first part of that chapter in, in Luke 18, verse 1 to 8, where Jesus also talks about prayer, but he talks about uh, the per- persistent widow. And um, if you want to get that context, you're welcome to go and download it from our website, shofar.joburg. All our, our sermons are available there um, going back a couple of years. So you're welcome to download that and listen to that. But this, this uh, parable is, is very different in many ways, but also dealing with the theme of prayer. And... Um, This parable contains um, two guys who are very different, who are sort of at opposite spectrums in society, who go to the temple to pray, and it highlights a certain problem that we as human beings all have, and that's what I want to call the problem of unrighteousness, the problem of having a need to be justified. Now, Now, righteousness and justification are big words that we don't really use in, in, in modern days. Um, and often, uh, you know, we don't really understand what it means, but, but, but many modern people even have a negative connotation to it. Um, many people who are sort of not used to church and, um, you know, hearing these big words, righteousness, justification, you know, they, they listen to a word like righteousness and, and it has a bit of a negative connotation to them. Most people when they, who, who are you know, don't have a, a biblical or theological frame of reference, will think of self-righteousness when they think of the word righteousness. Um, and, um, but there's no such negative connotation in Scripture. And I just want to show you, I mean, some of you might even say, yeah, you know, those are, you know, fancy words, righteousness, need to be justified. Um, but I don't know if I have that need. But I, what I just want to quickly show you is that um, this problem of unrighteousness is a problem that we all face, this problem of needing to be justified. Um, The word justified or made righteous, righteousness means to be put in right standing. So it's a relational word, to be put in right standing. You know, if I pay my bills to the city of Joburg, um, then I'm in right standing with with the municipality and they don't cut off my electricity and my water and stuff. Um, so there's something that I do to get into right standing, to right relationship. Um, and that's what the word righteousness means, right standing with someone or something. Just Being justified means being made acceptable. Um, in some senses, it's a legal term. If someone stands before a court of law and a verdict is given on that person's life, they can either be justified, declared acceptable, or condemned and declared unacceptable. And we think, oh, you know, I don't know about that. How does that apply to me? But, but clearly it does apply to all of us. Think about this. If you apply for a new job, 
You send in your CV, you know, application, uh, and um, maybe even go in and do a few psychometric tests and all kinds of fancy stuff. Um, eventually, if you get that letter that says you've been accepted, you've got the job. And it's not like, ho-hum, okay, fine, you know. It's like, yeah, you know. And it does more than just like, okay, well, I'm going to get a good salary now or maybe a better salary. It's, you know, I made it, you know, I'm, I'm accepted. It, it actually touches something in our heart. Think about this. Maybe even a better way to see it is, you know, say one of your children, say your daughter, you know, really wants to get into a certain university or school say university, and, and it's a very prestigious, you know, elite university uh, with limited um, space, you know, and, and only the best get in, and she does her application, and eventually you get that letter, yes, she's been accepted. You rejoice, and you're glad, because it, it's, it's, it, it, it tells you something about the person. It makes you feel a certain way, and, and that feeling... That feeling of being justified, that feeling of being accepted, that feeling of, in a sense, making the cut, of that feeling of having a positive verdict given to you is a feeling all of us want and need, whether we admit it or not. And I just want to give you a few examples. So I'm just going to discuss this, this parable. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to discuss it just under three headings. The problem of unrighteousness, the outside-in solution, and then the inside-out solution. Because we have these two characters who have different solutions to the to the problem. So let's read from Luke chapter 18 from verse 9. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness, there's that word righteousness, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself uh, and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. There's the word justified. Before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that your word is ever relevant and powerful to our lives. Thank you, Lord, that um, we can just... Come, Lord God, and, and right from the start, humble ourselves to learn from you, from your eternal wisdom. Please teach us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, C.S. Lewis says that anything that is not etern eternal is eternally out of date. Well, the Word of God is eternal. And that, that's why it's always, it's always relevant. It's eternally relevant. So, let's look at firstly at the problem of unrighteousness. Um, so we see two, three sort of situations here. The, the one is where the tax collector starts. And without knowing it, where the Pharisee also starts, it says at the end of the parable that this one, the tax collector, went home justified. 
So he went home justified. He didn't come from home justified. So when he came to the temple, he wasn't justified. And that's a starting place. Uh, the word justified um, and, and righteous in, in, the, in, the, in the Greek share, share the same root, dikaios. So it's the same root in the Greek. So it's just different ways of saying the same thing. So in other words, this guy started off not being righteous, being unrighteous. Being unrighteous, not being justified, not having a positive verdict, a favorable verdict um, spoken over him. And that's the problem of unrighteousness. And, and actually, without knowing it, all of us start there. And all of us actually, whether we're aware of it or not, crave that justification, crave that positive verdict, crave that acceptance spoken over us. And I just want to uh, give you a few examples of this. Um, because we, we feel, we feel that, that uh, lack of justification. So if, uh, we've come, if you've come to church, you probably also, uh, like these two guys, um, have um, a need to have your prayers answered. They came to the temple to pray. You came to church. I'm sure you want your prayers to be answered. I think that's one of the most uh, amazing things, powerful things, when your prayers are actually answered. But what this parable also tells us is that those who are justified, you need right standing. You, have, you need righteousness. You need right standing to have your prayers answered. And how do you get that? How, how, do, you, how do you receive that? But we have... Um, so let, let's, let's look at it in this way. Um, righteousness, like I said, is right standing, is being accepted... Um, and it's not only important for religious people. Obviously, it's important for religious people too. We, we understand, like James chapter 4 says, is James chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 5 says, um, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous is powerful. Okay? So, so having your prayers answered, just from a religious perspective, a religious point of view, requires right standing, righteousness. So we can understand, yes, religious people would want righteousness, would, would want justification. But not only religious people want justification. Um, in, in Rocky, the first Rocky movie, Rocky 1, uh, Rocky is this sort of, you know, down and out... Um, not a big-time boxer, but, but he has a dream, you know. And, and he, his whole thing in this whole movie is he says he, he wants to go the distance with a champion. He doesn't even care whether he wins or not. He just wants to go the distance. And, and, and you know what he says? He says, when I ask him why, he says, if I can go the distance with a champ, I'll know I'm not a bum. Can you see what he's looking for? He's looking for justification. He's looking to prove himself and to have that positive verdict over his life. But he's not the only one. If you can just bring up um, the next slide. This is uh, a guy, one of the characters in the movie Chariots of Fire. You know, remember Chariots of Fire was that movie about Eric Little and how he um, uh, you know, uh, ran in the Olympics and eventually got a medal after having uh, refused to run on, 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 a, on the Sunday as a testimony to the Lord. And he stands as, Eric Little stands as a, as a guy who had contentment and who didn't have to prove himself. 
He was willing to even give up the race and the gold medal because he would have, everyone agreed, he would have certainly won that gold medal, you know, with the race that was run on the Sunday. But as a testimony to the Lord, he decided not to run on the Sunday. And he was even willing to give up that gold medal. And it shows that he didn't need it. He had a certain contentment. And in stark contrast to him, there was this other guy, also an English-British uh, athlete uh, called Harold Abrams. And he said, that is your secret, contentment. I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't ever know, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. And now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Can you see what he's saying here? He has this need to be justified. He has this need to justify his existence. And, and it's not in a, in a religious context at all. And I want to submit to you that all of us as human beings have this need. He was a sprinter. He ran the, the 100 meters and he had 10 seconds to justify his existence. Others feel you know, their job might be you know, working um, you know, as a financial advisor. Uh, you know, working on the stock exchange. And, 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 and they justify their existence by making money. Um, you know, some people might feel, okay, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mother, I'm raising children. I justify my existence by having children who are well-adjusted and successful. And all of us will find something to justify ourselves, something to justify our existence. Whether we're aware of it or not. I mean, here's a, one that might surprise you um, on the next slide. And, and this, is, this is by um, a well-known singer called Madonna. You know, she sang um, songs like, like a virgin and um, all kinds of um, eats. And she's a very controversial, very, um, very secular um, she, she's not religious at all, you know, very secular person. But listen to what she says. She says, I have an iron will, and all my will has, <clears throat> has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. Can you see that? I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. In other words, I feel justified. I feel accepted. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Can you see how she's trying to justify herself? And all of us, whether we're religious or not, whether we, we, we have faith, um, you know, whether we believe in God or not, we're all seeking to be justified. We're just seeking it in different ways. Some might be justified by their friends and by their acceptance, by their justification, their positive verdict. Some seek, uh, seek it in all kinds of other places in their performance. But all of us are seeking to be justified. So all of us face this problem of being justified. So even if it's not 
um, to be heard in prayer, we all need to be justified. So that's the problem of, of unrighteousness, the problem of the need of being justified. And, and this parable gives us two solutions embodied by these two people. First, the Pharisee, who takes an outside-in approach to being justified or being made righteous. And then the tax collector, who takes an inside-out approach. So I just want to um, lift out a, a few aspects of, um, of, of what, what we learn from them. So the, the, the Pharisee follows an outside-in solution. His righteousness, firstly, is external, and it's what I call characterless. If you look at, at what he says when he prays, he says, um, God, I thank you that I'm not like others, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I, and I give a tenth of all I get. I tithe. So what do all of those things have in common? They're all external. They're all behavioral. So he's, he's, he's not... He, notice he doesn't say, I am generous. He says, I tithe. He doesn't say, um, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm selfless. He says, I give. He, he doesn't say, I... I... Um, how can I put it? I do not have lust in my heart. He says, I do not commit adultery. Now, all of those things, not robbing, not stealing people's stuff, that's good. Not being an evildoer, that's good. Not cheating on your wife, that's good. Even, you know, fasting. Uh, the, the law only called for, for one fast a year, and that was on, on Yom Kippur. He says, I fast twice a week, you know, 50 times more than required, you know. <laughs> or even more, you know, 100 times more than required. Um, and then he says, I, I, give, I give a tenth of all I have. So all of those things are good. Nothing wrong with those things. But the problem is all of those things are external behaviors. They're not internal character. And you can have the external behavior without having the character. And just the tone in which this guy says it makes us suspect that he, he actually does have the external behavior without the internal character. His solution is an outside-in solution. And, and notice what he does. He, he takes robbing, evil-doing, adultery, which the law requires, but then he sneaks in fasting twice a week. Does the law require that? No. Whereas, you know, not stealing, not committing adultery, you know, uh, stealing and committing adultery are clearly wrong according to the law. Those are God's standards. There's a legal requirement not to steal, not to commit adultery. Is there a legal requirement to fast twice a week? No. In other words, that's a personal preference. But he has now not only taken the legitimate laws and make, made that a standard, but he's taken his own personal preference and made that a standard. Can you see that? And what's the result of that? Not only is um, you know, the, his righteousness characterless, but it is centered on himself. It says, actually, and it's, it's a little bit maybe obscured in, in, in the translation of the NIV, it says he prayed... Um, let me just read it again how it says it. Um, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. The Greek is a bit ambiguous. You can translate it like that. You can translate it that he stood and prayed by himself. But you can also translate, and, and probably that is true, because if you are using external standards and saying, you know, if I do these things, then I'm right, I'm righteous, 
then you're going to separate. You're going to say the, the problem is out there. It's external. And so the solution is out there. It's external. It's separating myself from people like this tax collector who do those external things that I don't do. Okay? So it could be translated, uh, he stood by himself. But uh, probably, I mean, the, the Greek is ambiguous, and I think it's intentionally ambiguous. It could also mean he prayed about himself. Not only he prayed by himself, but he prayed about himself, which is strange. And, and, and you see it in the prayer, because in those short, two short sentences of his prayer that is recorded, he mentions God. He says, God, I thank you. And then after mentioning God at the beginning of the prayer, he never mentions him again, but he manages to mention himself five times in those two short sentences. Now, when you thank someone, don't you usually thank them for something that they did? But listen to what this guy says. Lord, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tithe. (laughs) He manages to mention himself way more than he mentions God, and he's turned prayer, which is supposed to be God-directed, into something that is completely self-centered. And it shows us that his righteousness is Self-centered. And that's what it says at the beginning of the prayer. It says, Jesus ministered this parable to those who were confident of their own righteousness. And that shows us one possible solution and a very common solution that we as human beings have to the problem of unrighteousness, a lack of being justified, a need to be justified. So one solution to unrighteousness is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Self-centered. Focus on yourself. Um, And it says that that kind of righteousness can often be very confident. It says Jesus spoke to those who were confident of their own righteousness. This kind of righteousness, kind of external self-righteousness, characterless, the problem's not in here, it's out there. The solution is, is external, it's behavior. It can make you very confident because you can be under the impression, the the illusion that you're actually making it very well. You, you like really meeting the standard. You like really doing great. Confident. So you can be very confident in it. Um, but also notice that, that his righteousness is comparative. External righteousness, self-righteousness will always lead you inevitably to, be, to make comparisons. To say, I am better than. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other people. We're not as righteous as me. Thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you that I'm better than them. And thank you that it's not only my keeping of the law that makes me better of them, but also, you know, the fact that I fast and so on, you know, my personal preferences. We we sort of set up standards that we like, and then we measure everyone else by it, and they fall short And and we make it so that we can feel better about ourselves if we seek this kind of righteousness, if this is our solution to the problem of unrighteousness. Um, But the problem is that when we compare ourselves to other people, we can always find someone to make a positive comparison with. We can always find someone that will make us look good in some area because we usually compare our strengths to other people's weaknesses. Just for starters. Isn't that so? (laughs) 
I heard a story once. I, I like this story, so I, I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. About there was a, a, a two brothers who were um, part of a gang. They were leading a gang. They they were sort of part of the mafia in a certain city, and um, they were Roman Catholic, uh, I think. And um, so you know, it was like typically. I mean, I don't know if you've seen uh, you know The Godfather, but um, you know, in, at the end of The Godfather, there's, there's this terrible scene. Which, which is just so telling of um, religion, where, where, where the, the godfather you know, and, and the family heads are sitting in the, in, the, in the Roman Catholic Church and receiving communion, if I'm not mistaken, and their henchman at the same time is out there killing the people, you know, like they call it, whacking <laughs> the people that uh, they want to be taken out. And, and these guys were, were like that. They were like this, this mafia. And then one of the brothers died. And... Um, the other brother went to the priest and said, uh, will you please um, bury my brother? And um, you can say anything you want to about him, anything whatsoever. I just want you to somewhere in your sermon refer to him as a saint. And the priest sort of thought about that for a while and he said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And sort of the, the funeral came and this priest sort of, you know, dug into this guy's character and said he was such a terrible guy. He was a liar and a thief and a murderer and, and he hurt so many people and he brought destruction into our community and he, and he just went on and on nailing this guy. And, and he just said he was really a bad guy, a sinner uh, and, 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 a, and an evil man and, and he did this wrong and he did that wrong and he did the other thing wrong. But to compare to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> And the point is just that if we try and get a feeling of being acceptable, of being justified, of having a positive verdict over our lives by comparison with others, we'll always, try and, we'll always be able to find it. We'll, we'll be able to find someone worse than ourselves, that it makes us feel better. But the problem is that, might just, that, that can only lead to self-justification. That can only be, lead to self-righteousness, not to real righteousness. Certainly not to right standing with God. Um, and then also, if, if, you, if you look at this guy's righteousness, it's clearly contemptuous. It says, Jesus spoke this parable to people who were confident in their own righteousness. And in effect, I think one of the other translations says, Treated others with contempt. Treat, treat, in fact, it says treated everyone else with contempt. If we have external self-righteousness, it will always lead us to look down on others with whom we're comparing ourselves. Because we have to. If I find my sense of righteousness and justification and acceptability by comparing myself to others, then I have to look down at others to make myself feel better about myself. To make myself feel good and say, well, I'm, I'm okay, you know. I'm not so bad. And it will always, this kind of religion of the Pharisees will always lead people who follow this, who seek self-righteousness as the solution to the problem of unrighteousness. It will lead us to contempt, being holier than thou, being proud and arrogant, and treating others badly. And, and you know, even if... We understand true righteousness, God's righteousness. We as Christians can still very easily slip into self-righteousness and become Pharisaic. In other words, you can, 
if you're a Pharisee, it guarantees you'll be, if you are a Pharisee and you don't understand the gospel, it guarantees that you'll be self-righteous. But even if you do understand the gospel and how true righteousness works, it doesn't guarantee that you'll always be free of self-righteousness. We fall into that trap. And then when we do, what happens is people feel judged around us. Because without realizing it, we sometimes compare ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And then people say, okay, no, I don't want to go to that church because people there judge me. They're holier than thou and all that kind of stuff. And, and we have to search our hearts and, and make sure that we don't fall into that trap. And that we don't fall into that trap with one another because we can so easily judge one another and be holier than thou and contemptuous towards one another. In, instead of loving one another. And, and, and the problem, the root of the problem, like I said, is what do we compare ourselves to? Do we compare ourselves to one another? That'll always cause us to be contemptuous. So in short, this external self-righteousness, um, uh, in short, an external self-righteousness where um, the good is in and the, ba- uh, the good people are in and the bad people are out, um, it, it just doesn't work. Jesus says, this guy didn't go home justified. He didn't solve the problem. Not as far as God is concerned. He, did, he might have felt righteous to himself, but he, he wasn't right with God. He didn't have right standing with God. So it, it just doesn't work. Um, because it, it misses the sin underneath the sin. So, so the parable tells us that this guy did all kinds of things right. He didn't rob, he didn't do evil, he didn't commit adultery. All of those stuff are, are good and well. But he missed this. He didn't commit those sins, but there was another sin underneath that he missed, the sin of pride, the sin of arrogance. And um, that caused that he wasn't... Now, the, the other solution, so that's the outside-in solution, which doesn't work and, and leads to bad things. The inside-out solution is by the tax collector, and it, it has sort of three parts. He has a very simple prayer, a very powerful prayer. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just make sure I'm, I'm reading it correctly. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he has three parts. God, uh, you know, basically a holy God, recognition of God as a holy God, recognition of himself as a great sinner, and then recognition of his need for an atoning sacrifice. And I'm just quickly going to show you that. Firstly, he refers to God, but it says how he responds, the tax collector response shows us what he believes about God and what he understands about God. Firstly, it says he stood afar off. He stood afar off. He didn't feel worthy to even be part of God's people. He stood afar off. Uh, and it says he, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. It's, it's as though he, he couldn't look God in the eye because he knew God was a holy God and God would see right through him. And, and, he, and he couldn't look God in the eye. Uh, um, you know, have, have you ever had that feeling where you've done something wrong and someone's confronting you about it and you can't look them in the eye and it's like, you know, <laughs> you know they can see what you've done and you feel bad about it. And this guy clearly did. He couldn't look God in the eye. He clearly felt bad about it, you know. It's like when, you, when you've lied to your husband or your, or your wife and, and they ask you, honey, did this really happen this way? And you're like, oh, hmm. No. <laughs> and this guy clearly felt like that. He, he was convicted. 
And he felt bad because God, this holy God, he knew God could see through him. He couldn't look God in the eye. And it says he beat on his breast just as, as a sign of his guilt. And he knew he was guilty. He knew his heart. There was something wrong with his heart. He was beating on, his, on this heart of his that, that had this problem that made him a sinner. So he recognized God as a, as a holy God. Um, and the second thing is he recognized himself as a great sinner. Now, the, the text, in the translation in the NIV slightly obscures this. It, it translates it, uh, God have mercy on me, a sinner. But the, the actual text has, instead of a sinner, it has the sinner. It has the definite article in, in the Greek. So literally what he says is, God have mercy on me, the sinner. And it almost sounds like what Paul is saying when he says in one of his letters, I am the chief of sinners. Can you see, when you say a sinner, there can still be comparison. I'm a sinner, but I'm not a worse sinner than other people. But when you say the sinner, I, I, I don't think this guy meant he's the only sinner, but, but in his heart and mind, there was no comparison. He wasn't comparing himself like the Pharisee to anyone else. He was just saying, I'm the sinner. I'm, you know, I'm... I'm a sinner in absolute terms. I'm a, I'm a really bad sinner. And I, I don't even want to compare myself to anyone else because that's irrelevant. Because I'm comparing myself not to other people, but to this holy God to whom I cannot even lift my face and look him in the eye. Can you see that his comparison is different? It's not to other people. And that's why it says, have mercy on me, the sinner. Do you, when you pray, see yourself as the sinner? Because the Pharisee didn't even see himself as a sinner. But this guy, this tax collector, to his credit, you know, in humility, compared himself to, not to people, but to this holy God in whose eyes he was the sinner. He was the problem. Um, and then, so, you, you know, a holy God, a great sinner, and then the final thing that you need between, because I, I think his prayer is so beautiful, because it starts with God. And it ends with him as the sinner. But then in between, it has a bridge between a holy God and a great sinner. And what is it? Have mercy on me. But even that, um, the translation obscures something here, um, which I understand why. I, I cannot think of a, of a better word in English to translate it with, so I'm going to try and explain it to you. But the word there used... Um, and translated mercy is not the usual word for mercy. Later in that same chapter, in Luke chapter 18, and I think it's in, in verse, let me see how I'm going to note you, verse 38, uh, you have this blind man sitting next to the road, and Jesus passes by with a big crowd, and um, he hears it's Jesus, and he, and he obviously heard about Jesus, and he jumps up and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that's where the, the normal word for mercy, um, Elios, is used. Um, but here... It's not that word, the normal word for mercy that is used. It's a, it's a different word. Um, it's a verb. When he says, have mercy on me, he uses the verb, hilaskomai, um, which is used in, in noun form in other places in the Bible. Um, and it's a very powerful and very telling word. Um, it was the word that was used for an atoning sacrifice. So what he's saying when he says, you know, have mercy on me, he's saying, 
make, apply an atoning sacrifice to my life. And, and, and it has two stuff. It, it says, for instance, in, in, in John chapter 4, that Jesus is our hilasterion. Uh, um, He's our atoning sacrifice. Okay? So the atoning sacrifice, remember, this guy is, he went to the temple to pray. The temple is the place where the atoning sacrifice is made. In fact, the Elasterion was the mercy seat. That's the same word used in the Greek for the mercy seat. That was, you know, in the Ark of the Covenant, um, you had, in the Ark of the Covenant, you had the Ten Commandments, the law, God's holy requirement, which you had to fulfill to come into God's presence, but which no one fulfilled. And then the, the priest, the high priest would come and he'd sprinkle what? The blood of a sacrifice on the mercy seat between the wings of the angels, which covered the Ten Commandments. In other words, the fact that, that we do not fulfill the commandments is covered by blood. Atonement is made. And, and uh, scriptures like Hebrews 9 verse, verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement for sins. So he comes to that place. He's in the temple, in that place, the temple, with the place where the atoning sacrifice is made. And he says, God, holy God, who I can't even look in the eye, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the sinner. I'm a guilty sinner before you. And what I need for you to do, I need for you to make an atoning sacrifice for me. And an atoning sacrifice does two things. Um, and you know, excuse me, I, I'm going to use, if, I, if you don't mind, just two big theological words, and I'll explain them a bit. Um, but, but they're very powerful words. The first one is expiation. And the second one is propitiation. I told you, I warned you, these are big words. <laughs> um, and... I just want to read one of the Psalms. Psalm 32 um, talks about expiation. It says, Blessed is the, is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see that this tax collector sort of embodies that. There's no deceit in his spirit. He says, I'm the sinner. Whereas the Pharisee, there's deceit and he covers up. You know, he, he has the pretense of righteousness, but he, in his heart there's that pride and sin. So expiation is when your sins are covered. In other words, expiation is what the atoning sacrifice does for the sinner. It covers his guilt. Expiation covers guilt. Propitiation is what the atoning sacrifice does for the holy God. So where the atoning sacrifice covers the guilt of the great sinner... Propitiation says that the same atoning sacrifice satisfies the wrath of the holy God. Now, wrath is, is like a, a old English word, like deep anger that, that we don't actually like as modern people. We, we're a bit scared of it. But, but think about this just for a moment. If people all across the world, all the time, are being murdered, are being raped, are being oppressed are being just treated cruelly. And if God sees all of that, would anything short of wrath be a legitimate response by God to that? If he saw all of that oppression, all of that cruelty, all of that hurt, and it didn't move him, it didn't somehow make him angry, wouldn't he be a very cold God? really heartless 
Of course. Anger, wrath, deep anger is the right, the only legitimate response to all the cruelty that God sees. He's right to have wrath. But the problem is, he doesn't only have wrath for the cruel people out there who commit these blatant big sins, but to every single person who sins, because every single sin is, is evil before God and provokes his anger. Even our sin, it should provoke God's anger. So how does God, who is a loving God, allow evil sinners into his presence who provoke his anger? He lies He makes an atoning sacrifice for them, which doesn't only cover their guilt, but also satisfies his wrath. And in, like I said, in 1 John 4, let me just read that for us. Such a a beautiful and powerful scripture. One, one John. It was so difficult to find <laughs> the right scriptures in. Here we go. Okay, one John four, chapter verse um, ten. It says, "Listen to this." This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And there's that same word. In, in the parable, it's just the verb. Here it's just a noun. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. He's the one that um, gives His life for our sins and makes atonement. And, and so, if, like this tax collector... We have an inside-out view of solution to righteousness. I need change on the inside. There's something wrong with me on the inside. I'm the sinner. In other words, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. And therefore, I need an inside-out solution to my problem of unrighteousness and not being justified. And if I cannot earn that righteousness no matter how righteously I act try and act like the Pharisee if I cannot earn that righteousness myself then I have to look to another for that righteousness I need an atoning sacrifice and the one place that the Bible says we can look is towards Jesus he's the only atoning sacrifice in other words Christian this is what makes Christianity radically different this is the crux of the gospel. This is what makes Christianity radically different from every other religion. In every other religion, you do good so that you can bring your good record, track record, to the God of that religion and say, accept me based on this. The clearest example of that is Islam, where on judgment day, the scales of justice will be brought out and your good works will be placed in one side and your bad works in another side. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, you're all right. You're in. And what Christianity says is no. On judgment day, you're not going to come and bring a good track record to God. Because no tr good track record is good enough before God. You cannot develop a good track record of your own to present to God and say, accept me. Justify me. Based on this. You have to bring someone else's track record. 
Because that track record needs to be perfect. So Christianity is the only religion where you don't develop a good track record to bring to God, to be accepted, but where you receive by faith someone else's good track record and bring it to God in order to be accepted. And the amazing thing is then, because some of you might ask, but, you know, what, what incentive do I have to obey then <laughs> if it's not my track record that makes me acceptable? What incentive do I have to obey? Well, firstly, I just want to say, if you only obeyed in order to be accepted and you stop obeying when you realize you are accepted, then you were obeying for the wrong reason all along in any case. That's a dirty motive. That's a selfish motive. I obey for what I can get. I can get acceptance. It's not... It's not lasting. It's obeying out of fear. It's obeying out of fear of rejection. But the problem is, when you disobey, you also often disobey out of fear. I lie because I'm afraid of what people will think of me if they find out the truth. I steal and I'm corrupt because I'm afraid that what I have is not going to be enough. And so I, I, I try and gather more for myself through, through corruption. Also motivated by, motivated by fear. So in other words, that motive for obedience is the same motive. You, you, you're nurturing in your own heart, through your obedience, the very motive that will make you disobey. It's not sustainable. It doesn't work. You see, the self-righteous person repents like the Pharisee repents because they've broken God's law. The truly righteous person like the tax collector repents because they've broken God's heart. If Jesus gave his life, he shed his blood to make an atoning sacrifice for me, to make me right with God, to make me acceptable before God, how can I not obey him? So I'm no longer obeying out of fear, but I'm now obeying out of love. In other words, the same atoning sacrifice that makes it possible for us to, for the first time, come into God's presence makes it possible for us to, in love, continuously come into God's presence and obey Him with the right motives. Does that make sense? In other words, what this parable tells us is that in the kingdom, it's not the good people are in and the bad people are out like the Pharisee thought. It says in the end, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, it's the humble who know they cannot earn their own acceptance that are in and the proud who think they can earn their own acceptance that are out, like the Pharisee. But then we must, of course, just be careful. I mean, the Pharisee says, thank you that I'm not like other people, like this tax collector who do evil. We must be careful that we then, even if we understand this parable, don't say, Lord, thank you that we are not like other people, like those proud Pharisees who think they can earn their salvation. <laughs> you see how careful you have to be. <laughs> just close your eyes. And just focus on the Lord. Unrighteous people who are like this like what this tax collector was before he came to pray, say, I am, either I am accepted or I don't care to be accepted, therefore I don't have to live a good holy life. Self-righteous people like the Pharisee say, if I live a good holy life, I will be accepted. 
But the people who understand the gospel, Christians, say, because I am accepted, I want to live a good holy life. And I want to ask you, do you feel accepted because you obey? Or do you obey because you're accepted? I want to ask each one of you, are you accepted because you obey? Or do you obey because you're already accepted? Because that determines whether you're like the tax collector or like the Pharisee. Your eyes are closed. I just want to give an invitation if you're here this morning. And, um, and the tax collector's very simple prayer. Holy God, make an atoning sacrifice for me, a great sinner, this sinner. If that, if that prayer resonates with your heart, and if you've never prayed it before, if you've never been realized how holy God is, or how sinful you are, or how God has made a plan, an atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ, so that He can accept you, even though He's holy and you're not. If you're understanding that for the first time and you want to respond and also come and pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, this sinner. I just want you to put up your hand and say, that's me. That, that prayer really resonates with my heart and I think I need to pray that prayer. Thanks for those hands. Anyone else? Just put up your hand nice and high so I can see it. see God's atoning sacrifice where he at great great cost to himself gave his own life, his perfect life his sinless life for us is the greatest expression of love ever known to man let that love which is for you, yes for you let that love compel you to respond bring you to respond just just close your eyes and just just focus on the Lord and I, and I don't know whether you're doing this for the very first time or whether you know the Lord is just touching your heart and you just want to confirm something that um, you know the Lord has already been doing in your heart for a while um, but it doesn't matter what you're doing now is sacred and special to the Lord and just come before the Lord just lift up your hands just in a gesture of surrender uh, to the Lord and just just pray that prayer just in your own words God be merciful to me a sinner and then just thank him and say God thank you that you have been merciful to me a sinner just thank God that he has made you acceptable through his son Jesus Christ that he has loved you that much that he has made a way for you to boldly come into his presence. Lord God, I just want to pray, Lord God, Lord, just like you said in the parable about the tax collector, Lord, who was a social outcast and a, Lord, a bad person who did steal, who did rob people, who did 
betrays our nation and, and work for the enemy, Lord. Lord, and yet you say in your word that, that he was the one who went home justified. Thank you, Lord, that everyone who has prayed this prayer from the heart and set their eyes on Jesus as the atoning sacrifice can go home justified, knowing that they are right with God, accepted by God, and that you are pleased with them. And I pray for each one of these precious people, Lord God, that you'll just bless them with a sense of your presence. Holy Spirit, that you'll just um, just fill them again to overflowing, Lord God, with your presence and with your love. Thank you that you pour out your love in their hearts by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and, and just give them a renewed sense of your presence and of your favor, saying, I love you, I accept you. Even though you're not perfect, I accept you because I have made you acceptable. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, for such a sense of gratitude to rise up in their hearts, Lord God, as they realize, Lord, that they are ex as accepted as they can ever be before you because you've already done everything for them. Lord, I just pray that blessing, Lord, of your presence and of the knowledge of your acceptance, the knowledge of your love, Lord, over them, that they'll know, Lord, know, know, know in the deepest of their, deep, uh, of their being that they are loved and accepted by you as loved and as accepted as if they'd obeyed completely, as loved and as accepted as if they'd obeyed like Jesus, the atoning sacrifice obeyed. And Lord, I just want to pray for us, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that, that we will not be a community that seeks after self-righteousness, external righteousness, and that compares ourselves to other people and, and that looks down on other people, that, but that we as, 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 as Christians, Lord God, will, will be like that tax collector, Lord. We'll just be so thankful and know that, that we did nothing, nothing to deserve your acceptance. But you gave it freely to us and we have nothing to boast in. And we are in no way better than anyone else. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that we will never, like the Pharisee, look down on others, Lord God. But that in humility, Lord, we will always love others the way that you love them. Even though they're imperfect, like us. Even though they're sinners, like us. We pray that this will be a community, Lord, when no one is treated with contempt, but where everyone is loved and where everyone is pointed always towards the atoning sacrifice, towards Jesus the Son who gave His life that we may be accepted. Lord, and, and I, I just pray, Lord, Lord, I sense that there are Christians here, Lord, who, who are not living with the confidence that they should be living with because they, they feel they're letting you down. And they're still basing their confidence, Lord, on their performance. Lord, and I just want to pray an end to that in Jesus' name, to every Christian that, that has a lack of confidence because they're still in their hearts, Lord, basing their confidence on their performance instead of basing their confidence on your performance. Lord, I, I just pray in Jesus' name that you'll help us, Lord, to overcome that tendency towards self-justification, towards looking towards our performance in order to be accepted. And Lord, I pray that you'll teach us this new way of obeying you, Lord. Not out of fear of being rejected, but out of love because we've already been accepted. Teach us that way of obeying, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jarberg.